1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Welcome to the Virago podcast, a monthly celebration of books, reading and writing brought to you by Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women.
1: Linda Grant, welcome to the Vrogo Podcast. Thank you. Um, My name is Lenny Goodings, and I'm delighted to be here to talk to you about your new novel, A Stranger City, which I love to bits, actually. Let me just say that at the top. Um, What I always like about all of your novels, and um, this is now your eighth, um, is just how humane they are, and how funny, and I don't know, I always feel a tremendous sense of feeling restored and nourished by reading your books, I just want to tell you. Um, So this is a book about home in many, many ways. And I'd like you to tell us, how did it start? Well, it started with, in a couple of different
2: ways, um, more than one, actually, more than two, even. Um, Nearly 30 years ago, um, there was a documentary on Channel 4 about pauper's graves, and one of them was a woman whose body had been recovered from the Thames and um, she was not identified, she was probably a rough sleeper and um, her funeral several months later took place on Christmas Eve um, out in East London and I was writing a feature for the Times to tie in with it and I went to this funeral and it was the most desolate, distressing experience, very very cold day, Christmas Eve, And um, I never forgot it. And I always thought that maybe I'd find a way of writing about it. And um, years later, many years later, I contacted, I managed to find the woman who made the documentary, and I said, was she ever identified? No, she never was. Mm. This is 1990. She was never identified. It's nearly 30 years. Um, And then... A couple of years ago, three years ago, I was on a train where I overheard a conversation, um, which was quite shocking. Um, it was a brief moment in time of me observing something. And um, as you know, I mean, I don't plan any novels that I have. I just sit down and start writing. So I wrote the, a, dis, a chapter describing the um, the funeral of an unknown woman, and I wrote a chapter describing an overheard conversation on the train, and then I thought to myself, how do these two fit together? How are they linked? What's the link between them? And it, it was at a time, not very long after the referendum, um, when I was entering the the sort of, you know, the, 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 s- the s- slopes of anxiety about the future, and I wanted to write about a London in which your idea of home was changing, being changed for you, your sense of belonging was undermined. There was a sense in which, you know, the future was uncertain. And I wanted to write in real time about this future that we were moving into, using these, these two pieces of narrative as sort of springboard to take me into this London of the, of the present.
1: And so the connection between the two, obviously, there isn't any real connection, is there? But what what is the is it the aimless nature of, of uh, well, London, or the the fact that we don't belong to things, or I, we I look think, for belonging?
2: I think the thing about London is that it's it's a huge, huge city, and we we're always moving at tangents to each other. In in smaller towns, people know each other through home, through work, through school, through family. But in London, people are moving around. They're constantly moving around. And one of the characters who fascinated me in terms of her way of life is Chrissy, who's a nurse, who moves from flat share to flat share to flat share. There's a wonderful documentary called Dreams of a Life about a woman, young woman in her 30s um, who worked in the city, who simply fell out of life and her body was discovered two or three years after her after she died alone in a flat. And it wasn't that she was a recluse, that wasn't the case at all. She had many, many friends, but what they all said was, I thought she'd moved on. I thought we'd lost touch. And they had lost touch. So, you know, London is this city where you have these sort of strange connections. I, I at one point, I said you could be, you could have a flat share with somebody, and twenty years later not recognise them when you were sitting opposite the two of them on the tube. You know, somebody you'd said you'd said good night to, somebody you shared a kitchen with, and that's certainly true of me. And and I think any novel about London is in a sense Dickensian. You know, it it relies on coincidence, on tangential tangential connections between people. And so the connection between these two chapters is that the person who overhears the conversation on the train um, is a documentary filmmaker who is filming the funeral. Mm -hmm. And the two events come together when he goes and talks to a policeman who has been the one who was um, investigating the case of the drowned woman. And the two stories come together in his documentary,
1: but that's completely coincidental, as a lot of things are yeah. in london isn't it so and let's talk about your characters because in mm-hmm. fact, only one of your characters is actually a londoner that's right, yeah, so, so tell us um, about him um well, Peter's
2: a policeman um he's from he's from west london um uh chiswick and he's you know he's grown up. In the city, he's lived here all his life. He, his his beat is really the river. You know, he's grown up on the river. He says, "We were wind in the willows kids. We grew up on the river," and his wife, who is also a Londoner, who he's known since he was a teenager, he known through um, she was a friend of his sister. So very un- a close knit community, and she's reached the point in her life when she wants to leave London. Uh, She wants to get out, she wants to go, and he feels strongly rooted. So he, you know, he's just terribly divided. Um, So he's the only person who hasn't come to London from somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And it's a really interesting thing that if you come to London from somewhere else, you always have the somewhere else as well. Um, The somewhere else is always part of you, even if you never go back. And you come to London for something, whereas if you grow up in London, that's really different you know you you you're rooted in ways that um make you know the rest of the country can seem attractive or seem you know unattractive as they, they it does to him because he's a city boy mm. and he loves the river
1: and the river the river is really key to
2: this book, isn't it mm. Well it begins and ends with the river with the body taken from the river and one of the characters in a plane flying above the Thames mm. and looking at the serpentine shape of the of the river. Um, so the river is, is, is as much a, a, a character as it takes people back and forth and as things become more bleak and more um, menacing it's a site of prison ships. But uh, some a place that has almost been forgotten, I think, in London is the flood, Thames Flood Barrier, Greenwich, below Greenwich, um, and how we're you know we're being saved, we will be saved from flooding for at least a certain amount of time when the sea levels rise by this extraordinary physical structure out you know out towards the um, the the sea, which you know people have totally forgotten about even though it's a huge deal when it was first opened so then london is a character one of the reviews said when right, I, I talked about it talked about urban legends and how urban legends spread through that the, the city tells its own stories mm. and i thought that was a wonderful it was a wonderful observation the city tells its own stories through urban legends mm. um, urban myths and conspiracy
1: theories all of those things the stories that the city tells and your other so your other characters so we have chrissy who's come mm. from ireland and she's mm-hmm. a nurse and she is your sort of um she's the character who moves around and yes. connects some people but yeah. not others but also represents that sort of more free-floating yeah londoner but then you have Francesca. Now tell us about Francesca, who I, I feel has some connection with you.
2: <laughs> well, um, Francesca is the um, the daughter of a refugee and the granddaughter of refugees, who come from uh, came from Iran at the time of the um, the Iranian Revolution, and she is a spoilt girl, a spoilt North London privately educated girl working in the art market in mayfair as a specialist in persian rugs for an auction house and with huge expectations of what her life should be and what she is entitled to and what she deserves but at the same time as having that she has all the the sort of the instincts of her refugee grandparents who know that things can change at any moment so she's a very spoilt girl young woman, Um, but at the same time, she's not stupid.
1: (laughs) You know, I didn't mean you were spoiled, when I say? (laughs) I see her in, you're the one who said that um, she has some um, connection to you.
2: Well, I, uh, yes, I I mean, um, she's her, her instincts are right. Her instincts are probably closest to mine. Um and that's yes. a survival instinct. Survival you think? instinct. Yeah. Yes, survival instinct. And is,
1: does that instinct, um, and it certainly plays out in the novel. But I'd be interested to know if you feel the same. Is that instinct wary? You know, it's yes. wary, ready for. You know, you know, you think you're secure, but maybe you're not.
2: Well, I, I mean, I think. That you know, her, her grandfather worked in the bazaar, you know, had a stall in the bazaar selling carpets and, you know, he talks about that in a bazaar, in the bazaar, you hear rumours, mm-hmm. you pick things up, you have antennae, you always know, you know, the shifts that are taking place, the news comes to you before anybody else. There's a sort of, you know, there's a sort of sixth sense of understanding when some things are changing. Um, there's a wonderful uh, joke, a Jewish joke about the Jewish telegram, start worrying, stop, details to follow. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly I would share that with her. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's what made me immediately after the referendum think things could get very bad. Not they will, but they could get very bad.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I mean, that brings me to the title, mm-hmm. A Stranger City, which was your very good invention. did we brainstorm we, it together? We brainstormed okay. together. Well, we, you and I have fun with our titles, yeah, don't we? we, yeah, don't yeah, we I, yeah, I feel this one yeah. leans more to you than me this time around. Um, But I liked, the reason I fell on it immediately when you said it um, was because it's obviously about strangers, of course, but it's a stranger city, so tell us about that.
2: Well, Robert McFarlane writes about the palimpsest on the landscape, of things being scraped again, rewritten again, that there's always layers and layers and layers, and that's where, I mean, I knew the word palimpsest, but he... um, He has this word of the day on Twitter, and it was one of the ones that he came up. And I immediately thought, "That's it. That's what's." So, London is is a place of layers and layers and layers. But it's not just layers of history; it's layers in which there are people. There are different communities that are subsisting, surviving next to each other, and. Um, Francesca goes into a very strange community, um, which is a kind of holdover of an older London, you know, I mean, the the London of the, you know, before the war, um, a London which is very strange to her, and yet is, is in the present, or is it, you know, is it? Who knows? There's an element of doubt about that. Um, and I wanted to have that kind of strangeness at the bottom of everything because there is a strangeness in London. There is a sense that ghosts have always in, always inhabited it. Um, when I I was staying in um, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, with a relative um, on this road, and it was the first theirs was the first house on the road. And she said, ours is the oldest house on the road. And I said, how old is it? Fifteen years. (laughs) And all along the road, houses were being bought and sold and then pulled down and another one built on top of it. So there were only ever houses which were, you know, five or six years old. It was really extraordinary. Um, And... In London, you're always living somewhere where other people have lived before you. Other people have sat in these rooms, other people have slept in these rooms, they've washed, they've lived, they've died. died, they've died in these rooms. You're always living in a place where others have gone before you. And the, the sort of the strange thing about it is, you know, we live, but we make no impression. You know, our lives come, our lives go, um, and the city will go on changing. But it will get—it's been changed and changed and changed by our steps and our hands and our language and everything that we think and feel. And then we will be forgotten.
1: But that makes it sound very um, bleak. And there's no doubt that there are bleak. There is a bleak side to this novel, but. What I, as I said at the beginning, what I love about your novels all, is that they are very much about survival. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I
2: mean, all, all, you know, I wanted all the people, I mean, I, I'm only really interested in, you know, in survivors um, and how they operate and how they survive, because, you know, that's that's the significant thing, you know, how do you survive, um, and I'm you know, I'm not that interested in writing about victims. I'm interested in writing about people who've got the instincts who know how to survive, as Chrissy knows how to survive, Mm. as Francesca knows how to survive, as her grandparents do. And and as Marco does, even when the worst that could happen happens to him, he somehow picks himself up and is able to reshape his future. Um, So I
1: think, yes, they all are survivors. And it's... um what i and what i like about this novel and other novels that you've written too is, is that the survival sometimes is very extreme obviously marco mm-hmm. the character you've just mentioned who had yeah. a terrible disfigurement happens to him doesn't it but um so sometimes the what they have to survive and yeah. war refugees certainly yeah. would be that too. But sometimes their way of surviving is just a sort of everyday resilience. Yes,
2: yeah, so I think that's I think that's right. I mean I don't think anybody in this novel is particularly noble, um, heroic, courageous, but um but they're real. Yeah, yeah. Um yes, well um I mean, they're getting by from day to day in a situation in which, you know, some are privileged, some are not privileged. I, I think that the, the characters who, you know, who are the real survivors are the two elderly ladies, one Jewish, one um, Sikh. Um, and what is really lovely about those two characters is that they both came into being as a result of charity auctions, where, um, in order to raise money for charity, one for Grenfell, the survivors of Grenfell, the other, um, uh, Freedom from Torture, they donated, a, they donated a sum of money to have their names used in the book. And um, the result of that is two characters came into being who were not my plan, um, and they are two elderly women who've known each other from both from immigrant backgrounds who've known each other since nineteen fifty nineteen sixties, when one walks into the other shop. I mean, how tangential can you get, you know? And they each recognize in each other, you know, that they're, you know, they're newcomers, you know, they they have a sort of, you know, they're not from here. And both of them you know there is a sort of an indomitable sense about them sort of knowing how to how to cope with these changing situations
1: and they're not going anywhere and then so and what is nice i mean the sort of arc of the story isn't it, is who is the woman in the mm-hmm. who is the woman pulled out of the Thames yeah and we we you know are we going to find out who she is yeah. or not but within that that everyone Everyone who meets they are all strangers, aren't they? I mean yes. you, but you've you've pulled together strangers, yeah to show that sort of mosaic of London, yeah. I suppose do you think the sort of the drive of the aside from survival is the search for home?
2: yes, I mean everybody is is looking for a home one way or another, or they're being forced out of their home so Francesca and her husband Alan are young first time buyers getting their foot on the housing market, having to live somewhere, you know, which is, you know, not where Francesca thinks she ought to be living at all. And is very ashamed and embarrassed to tell her parents And you have her grandparents who are, you know, who are are exile, refugee, who are never going home and for whom this alien city becomes a place where they only dare speak Farsi when they're in their own home. And the same of the German neighbors who gradually, you know, who are modern people, who are not afraid, who are, you know, doing very well in the London economy but suddenly they're turned on as foreigners. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a sort of certain level of a joke on my part that, you know, the people who are persecuted are German, you know, a middle-class German family who are looking into getting a loft conversion um, (laughs) because, you know, these are not the traditional
1: victims. You said earlier that... um, You don't plan your novels, that you get a sort of sniff or whiff of something and then off you go to see where it's going to turn out.
2: Well, um, I think the thing is, do the characters interest me? Do I want to know more about them? Do I want to know who they are? And is this a story? Is there a story here? You know, is there a story that can be told? Because I think... For me, the novel is tell me a story, Mm. and the story doesn't have to tie up all the ends or, you know, or lead to some moral conclusion, Mm. certainly not. But you need to feel that you've been told a story, that there is a situation which can be uncovered. Um, And if I planned what I was going to write, I wouldn't be curious about it, and so I wouldn't write it. (laughs) So you didn't know. Did you who that woman is no, in the absolutely at the beginning? Not and, and in fact, it took quite a long time before I decided whether you would ever know. Mm-hmm. And you know, I still don't know if I did the right thing. It could might have been better if I had chosen a different path. I don't know, um, but no, I had no idea who she
1: was. So, what do you when you read novels? What do you you look for the story, obviously, but and not necessarily a moral, obviously. Or do you? No. But do you do you want to be transformed by reading a novel? Do you expect that of a fiction?
2: I want to be taken into something that I don't know. And that doesn't mean another country or, you know, an historical period. It doesn't mean that at all. I, I want to be taken into lives that I that I would otherwise not be able to inhabit. Um, for years, I worked as a journalist and I would go into people's houses and I would say, so tell me what happened. And one of the questions I would ask would be, the formulate one, how did you feel about that? And they would say how anybody would feel about it, but it was never true, it was never true that everybody would feel like that, and that somebody else would feel something completely different. So tell me what happened was, um, was always the, when I was doing these interviews and when I came to write them up, I always felt yeah you know I could actually tell this story better i mean i can 't i 'm not allowed to, but I know a better way of telling this story. I know how to pace it better. I know how what to hold back. I know what to, how I would change this detail. I would change the ending. you know there are all so many things that I could do to make this a better story but you know my 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 family were great tellers of tall tales and stories and embellishment of stories. So, you know, I, I think it's the kind of primal instinct of somebody sitting, you know, t- people sitting around the fire, tell me a story to drive away, you know, the demons that are outside or, you know, the wild animals outside. Take my mind off this present situation. That sounds like escapism, but it isn't. Um, and, you know, often a novel I will read will just take me inside a marriage you know, in a way that, you know, I've never been inside a marriage before. Um, and I just finished reading... Um, it's Madeline Miller, isn't it? Madeline Miller, Circe. And then you get to the end, you realise the whole point of this novel has been about what it is like to be immortal and why you would want to give it up, which is, you know, a brilliant concept. And you see at the end how wearying it is to be immortal. And even, you know, never to grow old. And she looks at um, Odysseus and she loves the fact that his hair's graying and he's got lines. And you think of the sort of, you know, so it's something like that. It's not that I wanted to be taken into the Greek myths, but I wanted to start to think about
1: what does it mean to be immortal. Yeah. And see, you've picked up the very thing that I would, that I love about your novels, you know, that that they have, that she notices is gray and... And he's getting older, and she's observing that, but also, obviously, um, longing for it and loving it. Yes. And, uh, you know, that is what I like about your novels, is that they they both have the great big ideas, but actually how it's realized on the page is just how we get on with each other, really. Yeah. Can you just read me a tiny, just this little bit about home to finish our podcast? Home to your country of origin.
2: It's quite an idea, isn't it? This new thing that we'll all go back into our original boxes, like we're not mongrels from here, there and everywhere. But it's all everyone talks about, going home. Thank you very much, Linda. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Virago podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and also leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We'd also love you to be in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our website, virago.co.uk. Tune in next month for another installment of Books, Feminism and Conversation from Virago Press, the international publisher of Books by Women.